same page. We're so excited because not only are we recording together in person for the first time in a little bit, but we are recording from our hotel room in Miami. Yes, very exciting. We've been having such a great time in Miami and we actually have been talking about how we want to come back like for our Bath in Miami, hopefully this year, considering that some in-person markers are happening, especially this week, um, New York free is the first one. I think like Bath will launch this year in Miami or at the end of this year will be so amazing. I agree. Miami is definitely more open than New York is right now. So I think the chance at an art fair happening in a more normal capacity is much, much higher and more feasible in Miami than it is in New York. We're going to freeze and we're really excited to see what happens. Like we're not spending the weekend in Miami so that we can go and visit freeze. But it will be interesting to see the differences. We are having the same experience that we had in November of 2019. Exactly. Um, but we're wearing a mask. Oh, yeah. Being responsible. <laughs> Yeah. So first, for a quick update, we recently have been talking a lot about the planned protests at MoMA. And this week, the New York Times reported that, quote, MoMA blocks protesters who plan to demonstrate inside. So MoMA said that it was forced to actually close their doors when protesters attempted to force their way into the museum Friday afternoon. And this came at the conclusion of a march designed to focus attention on what the demonstrators say is the undue influence of wealthy patrons on the cultural institution's values and programming. Yeah, so just as a reminder, the strike, MoMA campaign, which is Global Collective Ten Week mm-hmm. through June 11th, involves a coalition of activist groups that call themselves the international imagination of anti-national, anti-imperialist feelings. And we talked about it on the podcast Yeah, I remember the name thinking how long and how it didn't make any sense. And I still feel that way. I had to read that and it was hard. (laughs) (laughs) But the museum released a statement that said that two guards were actually injured during the dispute. And one of the protesters said that she was punched by a guard. So it got physical. No, it's crazy. In before a demonstration, a MoMA spokeswoman said that protesters, if they had tickets and passed the COVID-19 screening protocol, would be allowed inside the museum's lobby, which I think is crazy. No, I think it's so crazy. MoMA's director, Glenn Lowry, said that the museum respects the right to protest and added that he does not agree with dismantling MoMA or any museum as it serves the best interests of the public. But the fact... Like, it doesn't serve any purpose. Right. Dismantling these institutions is not the key. Exactly. I completely agree. And the fact that he's even saying that he respects the protest, I feel like is so monumental. They were willing to let protesters inside like they just weren't about to break all COVID protocol and let people storm MoMA because that's ridiculous. Like there were people there visiting the museum. Yes. People don't seem to be learning from other experiences that are like kind of similar. Like you would have 
thought, like, after that, people wouldn't try to be storming institutions for, like, to... Storming the institution only harms both the protesters and, like, the institution. It doesn't do anything. In a way, like, I respect that these protests so much, and then, like, when they get, like, so violent, I feel like it takes away from the message they're trying to convey because they're, like, in a way, like, putting themselves in a different level. Like, they're not... Their message does not come across the right way. I agree, and I think that's what MoMA was also saying, that they respect the right to protest, and if people feel a certain way, they're welcome to demonstrate in front, but in no way should anyone try and storm the lobby of MoMA. No, exactly, and, like, I feel so bad for the guards. Exactly. But it's also, like, they shouldn't have to be getting physical with these people. And then the entire museum gets shut down for the day, which is only hurting people. And the museum, which has already struggled so much because of COVID. Right. Right. I think we agree with that. Yes. It's ridiculous. Yes. But moving on, our first headline of this week comes to us from Vogue, where it was revealed that, quote, the 2021 Met Gala dress code is American independence. So both 2020 and 2021's galas were postponed, of course, due to to the pandemic and even though the 2020 exhibition did open at the Met last year there was no accompanying red carpet celebration which perhaps is what everyone knows more than the exhibit itself Um, but it was announced that the 2021 exhibition will have two acts the first called in America Electric in a Fashion opening September 18th and it will celebrate the 75th anniversary of the museum's costume institute and explore a modern vocabulary of American fashion And part two will be a continued look into the glories of our domestic fashion industry and will be unveiled in 2022 with a celebration slated for its story date of the first Monday in May, May 2nd, 2022. And what was so cool about this announcement is that they made it on the first Monday in May when the Met Gala usually would have been happening. Yes. And the 2021 Met Gala will be a smaller, more intimate celebration and will be hosted in September on the 13th by co-chairs Chalamet, Billie Eilish, Amanda Gorman, and Naomi Osaka, and honorary chairs from Ford, Adam Masseri, and Hannah Winter. And there was a lot of, obviously, <laughs> there was a lot of talk about how young a lot of the co-chairs were, and they were really trying to give, like, new life to this event. So that's exciting. And what's so interesting is that costume exhibitions actually hold record-breaking spots for the most visited exhibitions at the Met. Heavenly Bodies, Fashion, and the Catholic Imagination, which was on view from May 10th to October 8th of 2018, actually holds the number one spot for record attendance at the Met. I actually loved that show. I thought it was like Me one too. Of the yeah. And then I actually wrote a paper recently for my graduate degree on the Alexander McQueen exhibit, which was really monumental in terms of fashion exhibits at the Met. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the research I did was talking about how these fashion exhibits at fine art museums are compared to this blockbuster effect Mm -hmm. where they have sometimes a lower cost, but like a higher production value. Everyone wants to go see those Gucci ones too. Right. It's like, I also saw like a Dior one in Paris. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, it was like all over Instagram. Yes. Some amazing things in their show, and like people are like they don't know as much, so they right? Really, like, see 
And oftentimes, less curatorial research is put into the exhibitions, which is a little problematic, but they do serve to bring so many people into the Met, which is proven in the numbers. Like, it's not a question that they do better than other exhibits. Yeah, which is crazy. But it makes sense. It's, like, more accessible. Right. Like, for the Alexander McQueen show, they opened the Met on Mondays when it was historically closed and were offering, like, late-night tickets for more money. Isn't that fascinating? Headline number two comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, U.S. government seeks forfeiture of Roman statue that was allegedly en route to Kim Kardashian. So a newly filed lawsuit reveals that in 2016, the U.S. government seized an ancient Roman statue that was allegedly being delivered to Kim Kardashian. Yes, so the U.S. government called for the forfeiture of the illegally imported statue, which resembles the lower half of a person wrapped in fabric. The lawsuit filed in them or against the statue itself was first reported on Twitter by Robert Snell, a writer of the Detroit News. And I feel like that really drives home the point that it's Kim Kardashian, that the news was like leaked on Twitter. Exactly. But all that stuff. Right. (laughs) This statue had been displayed at the booth of Brussels Axel Vervoort Gallery at the 2011 edition of TFOF Art Fair. And the work is currently held by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. A representative for Kardashian has denied that the celebrity had bought the work, stating that, quote, we believe it may have been purchased using her name without authorization. And because it was never received, she was unaware of the transaction. And I think that's a little bit of an iffy argument just to say that because the work itself was seized, she never saw it. So she had nothing to do with it. Right. Um, but yeah, adding on to his argument is the fact that this is not the first time that this book has been connected to the Kardashian family as the same trust was seized in the purchase of her Hidden Hills home um, with her now separated husband, um, Kanye West. So it's making that denial even more difficult exactly. because the trust has been found before to be connected to her. her yes. Which is interesting. According to the suit, the archaeologist suggested that the defendant statue was looted, smuggled, and illegally exported from Italy. Yeah, and two professors with training in archaeology and materials, as well as an archaeologist from Italy's Ministry of Cultural Heritage, examined the work after it was confiscated by the U.S. Customs. The- and these experts determined that the fragment sculpture is made out of marble and that it may be a copy of an ancient Greek statue that um, they dated to the 6th century. And the... Crazy. (laughs) And real issues arose when the documentation provided by a shipping company proved to be insufficient to satisfy requirements surrounding the U.S.'s Cultural Property Implementation Act from 1983, which forbids the importation of looted heritage. So it's almost as if they knew that it should not have been imported and they tried to get around it by attaching the wrong documents to the statue. They were found out the work was seized, and now Kardashian's trying to distance herself. Yeah, it's very crazy, and, like, obviously no one wants to accept that they did something wrong, so everyone's like, no, it wasn't me, like, obviously the trust is going to say it wasn't them, and that it was Kim Kardashian, and that they didn't know it was, I don't know. Right, and the gallery is saying, no, we did the right thing, and then the customs are saying, no, this is illegal, so... (laughs) But I do kind of love that Kim Kardashian is so wrapped in this because I think the intricacies of art looting 
is so complicated and I personally find it to be so interesting and I because she's involved the story is getting so much more press than it ever would That I didn't even think of that. And that's probably why she's trying so hard to say she didn't know what was happening. Okay. She's not about to pass that bar. Maybe she will. You never know. Our third headline comes to us from the art newspaper, which announced that, quote, MoMA trustee Lonte Evers to open huge art center in Brooklyn this summer. So the American philanthropist and mega collector Lonte Evers will launch a sprawling nonprofit art center in Brooklyn this summer called the Amont Foundation. The center aims to emphasize practitioners coming from the disciplines of theory, poetry, and literature. So the 21,000 square feet complex will stand for buildings across two blocks of East Williamsburg and include two galleries, a performance space, and studios for Russian artists. Lonte, who is on the boards of the Museum of Modern Art and the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College envisions the center as a mix of studio and exhibition spaces and emphasizes that the program will be free of the time restrictions and financial and administrative confines that typically accompany art practices in New York. So that's not, I mean, I'm sure Brooklyn is a great choice because there's so much space, but there's also just different like rules and regulations that make it ideal for this. And what's also so cool about this is that the inaugural roster features a lineup of all female artists. Yes. So we love to see that. Even LA sometimes I feel like gets away with doing a little bit more than New York does just because of space constraints. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, also here in Miami, it's like there was so much space in like the opening of Super Blue, like, right. which is like massive warehouses and like that wouldn't really happen in Manhattan. Like, and we were talking about this um, with our friends the other night, like the art fairs right now that freeze needs to be mm-hmm. shed. Um, just because it's smaller, but like, well, if we go back to Randall's Island, like, people might not want to go back to Randall's Island after being in, like, you know, Hudson Yards. Right. But, like, there is not enough space to hold a freeze as big as it used to be, um, like, in a post-pandemic world anywhere in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know, just when you think about well, it's also like we love going to Dia Beacon and Storm King, but we've mm-hmm. talked about this the other day because we were talking about joining Dia Beacon because we loved it. It was so cool and they do have really great programming. Yeah. But realistically, how often are we going to drive out there? You can. <laughs> we love a Brooklyn day. Right. It was like similar to this story. It's so great that the money is being put to good use and like not just like for the conservation of the state. I agree. And so many people have recently or attempting to right now move out of New York City Mm -hmm. that it will be interesting to see as people congregate in other areas, like what pops up in these new spaces. Yeah, I agree. 
Headline four comes to us from Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, artists are selling $140 photographs online to support India's depleted hospitals as it battles a coronavirus surge. So India, which is the world's second most populous nation, is in the midst of a deadly coronavirus surge that has claimed the lives of more than 4,000 people in just the past 24 hours. According to reports from the health ministry, the number of daily infections has exceeded 300,000 every day for the past two weeks. And I'm sure Crazy. everyone has been seeing this in yeah, the news. Yeah, everywhere in the news. It's so sad. But the arts community community is rallying to support overwhelmed hospitals facing dire oxygen shortages and then art for india launched earlier this week and will run through may 9th and it is a grassroots project selling photographs for 140 dollars each and like photographs are usually really expensive because they come in edition numbers and like Mm -hmm. we've talked about it before and like because their works on paper they're also more delicate which drives up the price a bit so 140 dollars is such a good deal it's such a good deal and 11 artists from india and it's diaspora came together to raise money for the coronavirus relief group Mission Oxygen. Yeah, and the project was founded by three London-based entrepreneurs, and it will donate 100% of its proceeds to the relief organization. The group is now comprised of 250 entrepreneurs in India working to import oxygen concentrators for for the hardest-hit hospitals in the country. So far, they have raised over... $27,800 with orders coming in from around the world. And I think this speaks to what we just previously said, where it's everywhere in the news and people are really trying to help, which is amazing. No, it is amazing. But when hotspots in the United States and Europe had similar surges, the art world mobilized with initiatives like pictures for Elmhurst, which raised $1.3 million for the New York hospital. And a similar similar fundraiser in Italy raised nearly um, $800,000 to benefit the Pope Giovanni Hospital in Bergamo. So like, it is really great that people are buying, but 27000 just does not compare to a million. And I think it just like shows like the inequalities in the art world and like, and not even in the art world, just like in the world in general, like when it's like a first world country, like people really do rally. And mm-hmm. right now India is like suffering so much, but it is a third world country. And like, that's part of why it's suffering, but not as much money is being raised when like that much money should be being right. Raised, they need, you know? if anything, they need more help. Exactly. But the photographs are beautiful. We encourage everyone to go check out the project. Buy one. Yes. And they're, it's since a great they're initiative. all by like um, Indian artists. Like they feature like Indian like views and things like mm-hmm. that that I thought were so cool because like I've never been to India. So it's like always I fun to like. I also have never been. Yeah. It's always day. fun to see new places, even through photographs. Yeah. Our fifth and final headline comes to us from the art newspaper, which reported that, quote, a Bronze Age village is discovered beneath Lake Lucerne. Archaeologists have discovered the remains of a Bronze Age village beneath Lake Lucerne in Switzerland. According to a press release, the settlement has long lain hidden under the lake's muddy floor, but was revealed when a trench was being cut for a new water pipeline between December 2019 and May 2020. Yeah, so in March of 2020, the excavation unearthed a... Um... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in March of 2020, the excavation unearthed pottery and wooden poles that were identified as prehistoric by a team of underwater archaeologists the artifacts were then carbon dated to around 1000 bc in the bronze age when the lake level was five meters below than what it is today 
And putting the evidence together, the archaeologists concluded that the Lucerne area was settled around 2,000 years earlier than previously thought. Which is crazy. That's so... 2,000 like, is a just lot of history. years. Yes. Um, they also found that the wooden poles were remains of pile dwellings, which means um, like houses that stood on stilts besides lakes or river banks. So like... Like, it's kind of crazy that, like, the it's, remains of houses are still under a league right now. It's so crazy to think about. Yes. And due to the often excellent preservation of organic artifacts like the wooden poles at Lucerne, such sites provide glimpses into life during Europe's Neolithic and Bronze Age phases. Yeah. And in 2011, the prehistoric pile dwellings around the Alps were added to UNESCO um, to the World Heritage List. And this listing includes 111 sites spread across Switzerland, Austria, France, Germany, Italy, and Slovenia. And of these, 56 are in Switzerland. So Switzerland was very, like, popular in the Bronze Age. I love a UNESCO World Heritage site. site. Yeah, they're it's very cool. It's always so exciting. I agree. But this is just, like, such an exciting discovery. I know. Um, I just, like, think I want to like, go this and really see changes it. history. Because, like, imagine finding out that there was life there 2,000 years before. Like, it's what you said. 2,000 years is a really long time. Right. Especially when it comes to, like, humans. Like, right. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So exciting. Finally, we cannot leave without some emerging news. This week, it comes from Artnet, which revealed yesterday that, quote, we are launching Artnet News Pro, our new members-only section offering an insider's view of the evolving art market. Starting March 5th, Artnet will have a brand new feature titled Artnet News Pro, which will be a members-only section of Artnet News. The goal is to provide collectors, art professionals, and other ambitious art lovers with the tools to navigate this high-stakes terrain through exclusive market news, analysis, opinions, insights from industry insiders, and investigations driven by Artnet's industry-leading price database. We talked about this yesterday. The price database is, is the most amazing thing. I'm obsessed with it. I yes. get full access to it from the Sotheby's Institute now, mm -hmm. and I'm like looking everything up. I know I love it's it. so crazy. And like we were talking about how far back it goes and how some like because you can, for the people who don't know, you can look up like basically any auction mm -hmm. that you want and like see like obviously you cannot see who bought it, but like it says like basically everything other than who bought it. Exactly. Um, but some of them are so old that there's no image for them. And we were talking about how like incredible that is. Um, but going back to the Art News Pro, um, the new service is built on five pillars, which are transparency, efficiency, competitive advantage, world-class reporting, and real value. And their goal is to provide professional readership with kind of insider reporting, so vital to the art market, while also like simultaneously enabling the platform to continue to provide journalistic coverage at large. So it's a more narrowed in art market focused sector of Artnet News. Yes, I think some of these things are like really cool when they like materialize but like right now I'm having like a hard time envisioning what this will mm -hmm. look like because it's like I think Arnett News is already so great mm -hmm. and like I don't really understand what like I understand what they're trying to do but I don't know if it's gonna work so I'm excited to see it in person or not in person but like <laughs> in like luck. real life um just to see what it actually does like what the news look like if it actually gives you like insider news mm -hmm. as opposed to well I think what I love about Artnet and what 
I feel like so many people love about Artnet is you can go on and read everything for free. Even mm-hmm. like the art newspaper, you have to go in like incognito mode yes. if you don't want to pay for it because they cut you off at like three, three articles. articles. Yeah. So, but what's so amazing about Artnet News <laughs> is that it's all available. So I'm going to be interested to see what they put on Artnet News Pro versus what type of content. Right. And they have to make it worth it or else no one's going to pay. Yeah. I mean, like if you work at a big auction house or a gallery or somewhere, you'll get get access to it, I'm sure, which is a little problematic because I feel like that will just fund this initiative and they're going to think that it's doing great and then everyone else will be annoyed. But we will see. Yeah, exactly. We will see. I just don't understand where they're going to draw the line between what makes the cut and what doesn't. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like what makes the cut for like insider news and then what's public. And also I feel like it's not real insider news if anyone can pay to see it that defeats the purpose. And the art world is so gossipy as it is that like everything makes headlines anyway. So like something that they might put on their insider news might might be reported on like somewhere else like in a different platform right like what if it's on art news but it's pro or like even the new york times like i don't know like or sometimes even forbes will release like things that are like top yeah yeah. like right now for example everyone's talking about the um bill gates melinda gates divorce and like whether art collection like like, where it's gonna gonna go and it's like everyone's speculating but like and they're like oh we might we have an insider but like no one actually knows what's going to happen and we just like have to wait and see right and like it's like it's our net news pro going to tell us no. what's gonna happen like probably not because like, they can't not. really report on it so it's like what's the point of it they're gonna have but more we'll insider see. sources exactly like, it's like they're not a source going, not a exactly. fact exactly so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens but like sometimes these things end up being really cool so we'll it could be wait. so cool it just it, that's why it's emerging news. Exactly. We will follow up. Mm-hmm. But I think that's it for today. We have a super exciting Monday Chatter check-in coming up because we're in Miami and we're going to talk about like Miami things. What we're doing in Miami. Um, And then next Monday Chatter check-in, we already have a schedule because we're going to freeze this mm-hmm. weekend. So we will definitely be talking about that. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Yes, yeah, very. Um. So yeah, that's it for the day. Yeah, I think that's it. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye.